Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And we're your co-hosts. So today, I'm going to be talking about the very hot topic of immortality, uh, and talking a bit about Athena and why owl tattoos are actually so, so cool. Are we going to get a viewing of of Hootie? Oh my gosh, yes, for the Patreon, for the Patreon, of course. My beautiful owl tattoo with a bow tie. Yes. Hootie, um, which is just right here on my my shoulder. Hootie is an icon. Hootie is an icon. It is my very first tattoo. Mm -hmm. And um, and now I kind of like just say, you know, it's sort of an association with Athena. So I love it. I love it. Well, I'm going to be talking on a very like different note from immortality and like the death side of things that you'll be getting into. I'm going to be talking about like the springiest of all springtime flowers, tulips. And I'm also going to like give a little wag of my finger to actual literal disease mongers in the wellness community, which, um, you, David, you, 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 you do not like, no, do not recommend. Do not, would not recommend. Um, I wish I could give you zero stars, but I I can't. So I give you one. I wish I had three arms so I could give those titties three (laughs) thumbs down. (laughs) That's where we're at with disease monger. That's where we're at. Um, okay, so we're talking about Athena, and Athena, I'm Athena, as Dan Stevens says uh, in the audio book of uh, Odysseus. Sorry. Anyway, uh, Athe- it just Athena. always makes me laugh. Um, Athena. Athena. Uh, I'm actually so surprised we haven't done Athena yet. Like we've really kind of gone out there, and like Athena's right there. Um, but I do think it's pretty obvious that both Shannon and myself have big Athena vibes. Um, I like to think it's obvious. I, 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 do, I do too. I do too. You know, like, can you see my owl tattoo? Um, and he's wearing a bow tie because he's very civilized. And that's what that of represents. Um, and that's a choice, an intentional choice that I made. Um, <laughs> but no, actually diving in. I do find it funny because one thing I read while doing my personal research for this segment was that Athena was seen at the time as being the opposite goddess of Artemis, who we also love, love, love Artemis. So I'm like, how could they be opposites? Like, not really enemies, but, you know, kind of like, they're always kind of pitted against each other because goddess, uh, Artemis is the goddess of the hunt and wild places and you know but i think it's all about balance and i yeah. think there's there's room in my heart for both yeah. uh, and i think everyone out there would agree with that so but our it's yeah it's important to have like your uh, you're like athena in the streets artemis in the sheets exactly exactly um because ladies we can do both we can have it all we can't all right. have it all. We're going to yes and our way into like all the goodies. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, but our Athena is the goddess of wisdom, uh, but she's also the goddess of war, um, goddess of weaving, the three W's, uh, wisdom, war, and weaving. The weaving is going to be important Hell later yeah. on. So like, please pop a pen in that. Uh, but like culture, generally speaking, and to touch again on her oppositeness to Artemis, 
simply put, Athena is a big city girl with big city dreams. Okay. And while Athena is prescribed many different attributes and powers in practice, like the main form of devotion to her was like as the patron goddess of most big Greek cities, she was there to like keep the citadel safe. And like the best example of this kind of city building architecture, where you would have the temple to Athena up on top of the Acropolis, which was the main defensive point of uh, an ancient Greek city, is um, just this little place called the Parthenon. Like, oh, I think I've heard of her. Like, I don't know if you've heard of her. She's kind of obscure, but um, yeah, it's just the Parthenon. But actually, it's that aspect of Athena that I do personally feel very drawn to as like a like a protective energy. So the fact that she represented culture as well uh, in the birthplace of Western civilization is also very powerful. Yeah. Like she's well-read, you know what I mean? And- Yeah, she's like, if Athena had to be a Disney <clears throat> princess, she would be Belle. Yes, exactly. So it's like, she's beauty, she's grace, uh, but she knows a thing or two. Um, oh, but okay, how did she get to be the BC- the Europe of the BC years, like first true cultural icon. It's also the story of Greek culture in general and like really just like the soul of a nation state, if you will. So before Greece was Greece, you had this period of time called the Hellenistic Wars, which were on again, off again for like hundreds of years. <clears throat> and you had civilized, democratically governed Athens Athens, huh? Athena, hello. Uh, uh, and they were at war with the sort of monarchist warrior kingdom of Sparta. And it's this sort of duality of Greek culture being represented by Athena, who, while being the goddess of war, also has these virtues of wisdom and culture on her side, meaning that she favors like strategy. And war is the means to an end for conflict resolution. Like it's not this ongoing state. And like, meanwhile, her brother Ares, hello, hi. Um, but no, he's like naked bloodlust, uncontrolled rage, and this kind of like berserker energy. And that really feels very Spartan because their whole culture was the military. Yeah. And they wanted to do war all the time. That was yeah. like, if there wasn't war, like that was, you know, that they had nothing to live for. I'm sorry, um, but this is Sparta. Oh my like, God. I, yeah. You kind of, you had to, you had, you had to. Um, but of course, in the end, Athens wins the big prize. And ultimately the outcome did go on to create the world we live in today. And you'd kind of have to imagine like it, how different the world would be if Sparta had become the dominant Greek power in the Hellenistic Wars, because like literally like you wouldn't have America because our founding fathers infamously like leaned heavily on ancient Greek society building to, you know, kind of do the, the whole constitution and shit. And also it's like, that's why all, all of the architecture in Washington DC is like fake Greek. Yeah. I mean, um, this was like global revenge of the nerds. Yeah, it was it was great. It, and, and, you know, it's like all, you get all this great philosophy out of it. And really some of the first like little glimmers of like true science happening 
yeah, in like, Europe. Look, we in, love in Europe, in Europe, because in that's Europe. what we're talking about. Ultimately, we're not talking about all of the great and wonderful science that was happening in the Middle East or Asia or even the Americas. Uh, I mean, in Africa, they were doing like skin grafts when fucking Europeans were still like leeching people. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but, but in yeah, but in Europe, like yeah. Greece is it. Greece is you know, like they did it. They did that they're for all of kind us. Kind of a big deal. They're I think kind it's of a big like deal. The thing we're like, we all love a jock. They're hot. They're good mm, to look yeah. at. Do you want exclusively jocks in charge of your country? No. 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 But the fact that like the the more genteel side of things won out uh, was all done in honor of our girl Athena. Athena. So we're back. We're back. We're talking about Athena. Uh, Y'all were wondering where we were going with this. Um, Yeah. So I'm actually going to stop fangirling uh, about Athena because we got to go back to Zeus. We got to, we got to, where did she come from? Oh, Zeus boy. um, And there's a couple of versions of the story of where did Athena even come from? Um, But there's one in particular that really showcases Zeus's just absolute density as a person and therefore the one that I feel rings most true. Um, The story goes that there's a prophecy, right? And that if Zeus has a child with Metis and she's the goddess of counsel or advice, so she's like basically his attorney, um, the resulting offspring would have more wisdom than Zeus. And, um, you know, Zeus is a very proud person. Uh, but we I have to pause here. I hadn't heard that about him. We have before. to pause here. Yes. He, Sky Daddy is very, very proud. <laughs> um, so Metis, though. She's basically, she, she's Zeus's girlfriend. She's Zeus's live-in girlfriend. It's very serious. They did get an apartment together. Uh, and she's, like, basically the goddess version of, uh, you know, just like a good attorney. Like she just gives everyone such good advice and she like knows what's up. Okay. Like she went to law school and her and Zeus were together before Hera was even in the picture and being the goddess of wise counsel. She was seen as the wisest of all the gods at the time, other than Zeus himself, of course. Um, so yeah, basically Zeus is dating his attorney and it seems like actually, or she's like either his attorney or like kind of his life coach. Oh, I love that. She's like, she's like part hype man, part like counselor, part trying to keep his fuck boyness in check. She's like keeping him in check. Um, but I, but you know, it's like, I guess that thank God he got together with Hera, uh, you know, who's infamously as much of a psycho as he is. Like we really, um, have to go back to her just like chucking her baby Vulcan, baby Vulcan, just off Mount Olympus. I mean, who hasn't thrown a baby from Mount Olympus <laughs> once or <laughs> twice in their life? Uh, and but and and then being petty about it, uh, which is you know, Zeus, Zeus kind of deserves what he gets with that one, but he was dating like a smart, logical lady, good advice giver. And I think it's important to point out here though that the prophecy. Did never said that this mystery offspring was gonna like overthrow Zeus. Just, just that, yeah. Just, more just wise. that they they would be more wise than him. Um, and but he's like, obviously that cannot happen. So the obvious thing to do is like you know to like move out because you know as we had mentioned, Zeus and Metis live in boyfriend girlfriend. Yeah, like they're they do. Ha- up. They do have an apartment together. Um, 
is just to break up, right? And like let her move on with her life, you know, like uh, just kind of go the, go their separate ways or 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 whatever. But um, also like that that's apparently not an option. So Zeus has to come up with a plan. Like he's got to, I mean, like, oh boy, what's he, what's he going to think of? Like, he can't just break up with her, right? Yeah, because that, that'd be too easy. Uh, but also that would be like showing, showing his hand and kind of like admitting defeat even, you know, in like a small way. Yeah. It's like, if you want to think about toxic masculinity, it's like just whatever Zeus does. Right. Just like whatever Zeus does. So the plan basically is to have one last rendezvous with Metis and then swallow her whole as one does. Um, So get his dick wet and then mm -hmm. eat her and then eat her. Uh, But it's actually kind of in in the story, more like forcing himself on her. Of course. Um, You know, I just want to let you guys all know, like, I don't know if you've actually uh, been to sex ed, but one time is actually all it takes to get pregnant, you guys. So after they're finished with their date and he swallows her whole, he actually hasn't stopped the prophecy because she's pregnant. Mm. Whoopsie doodle. And, you know, like we go over this with the Titans and Zeus, but apparently if you're a god and you swallow someone whole, like they are kind of like still alive inside of you. Yeah, they're just doing their thing. They're just doing their thing. Um, So she's pregnant. She's in there. She gives birth to Athena. And Athena does grow up very quickly, as gods do. Like, we can look at the Vulcan story, you know, where it's like once he lands in the ocean and is with his new sea nymph mommy, he's like an adult in like three or four days, you know? Like, it's it's, it's pretty quick. You're a god, you know? Like, you just grow up, right? And um, she's in there. Athena's in there inside of Zeus and she's trying to find her way out um she's like in the Zeusiverse like trying to find her way out um and eventually she makes her way to his head and gives him such a headache that he begs the other gods to help him and there's like at least six different versions of who actually does it but the important thing is is that eventually someone literally gets an axe out and like cuts the the middle of Zeus's forehead and uh, out jumps Athena, like fully grown and ready to girl boss her way to the top. Love it. Iconic. And ladies, this is the first time in history that a strong independent woman created a headache for the man in charge. And we honor that. And I would say we praise that even. I love it. And can I just say like, can you imagine what the fight was like for trying to figure out which of them got to hit Zeus in the fucking? Oh my god! Max? See that—that that was the real question. Is that every that everyone wanted to? Everyone was like, "Oh my god, let me, like, <laughs> let me do it." <laughs> I'm like, "Where's that movie? I want to see the movie where we have like the great games for the gods to figure out who gets to smack Zeus in the fucking face with an axe." Because you know they all had a reason, right? Yes, I mean, because Zeus is famously an asshole who literally sleeps with every single person and God. And animals. uh, And animals. Um, So, you know, he just left a trail of like drama and um, just anger probably in his in his wake. Um, But so Athena's here. And she's li- she's lived up to the prophecy. Even she was eventually seen as the wisest of all the gods, and she shows up 
time and time again in epic stories like the Iliad and the Odyssey and Metamorphoses. Oh my God, what an absolute mouthful. But she's offering sage wisdom and having these sort of iconic moments like, you know, when Mufasa's ghost visits Simba and the Lion King. Yeah. And it's like really inspirational and exactly at the right time. Yeah. Uh, That's sort of the vibes. Yeah. Um, You know, she, she like gives Odysseus advice. She really is like the guiding hand of all of the Greek heroes. And she shows up right when she's needed. Um, She's really kind of taking on her dead eaten mother's whole uh, sort of advice thing. Um, I love it. it. And can I just say, I know that I often say this, but what big Virgo energy to just be going about telling everyone how to do the right thing. Oh my God. Yes. Uh, But also I would say it's not just about, she, you know, she does talk the talk, so to speak. uh, But she also walks the walk because as the goddess of war, she does lead the charge in the battle of Troy. Um, And that's, pretty iconic too yeah what a bamf man because you know even though she's a, a female goddess it's a, a female goddess or you know whatever um always is wearing like a war helmet because she's a goddess of war um and the thing i think makes her such a cool goddess especially for modern witches is that her whole thing is that she fights the battles that need fighting and uses strategy to kind of like pick and choose. Uh, And at the end of the day, she also has all these cultural and even domestic associations. Like it's very much about having a home and a culture to be proud of and like worth fighting for. Um, Like fighting isn't the main thing, of course, but you're going to lead the charge. You're going to lead the charge when danger comes knocking. Um, and go about it in the smartest way possible so then it doesn't go on longer than it needs to. So it's not the U.S. and the Middle East. But I I think that it's like a big difference between someone like her and the Morgan, right? It's like the battle or war is like a means to an end. Like Mm -hmm. kind of also I feel like with Athena, it seems almost like it's sort of like a last resort to like she never starts with let's go to war. It feels like here are all of the things, all of our action plan we can do beforehand. If that doesn't work. In many ways, in many ways, a lot of her advice is in aid of uh, not even going to war. Like, yeah, like we don't want to do that. But, you know, when it gets down to it, like she's she's ready. Yeah. She's like, look, I'll get my fucking hands bloody if I got (laughs) it. If I have to, like if I have to. But this is what we should do to not even have to worry about that. Yeah. Which is which is really intense energy. Yeah. Um, and like you know, very iconic. Um, and she's. I also. I I do have to say, brought it up at the top, bringing it up again down here. She does have these strong associations with owls and cats, which you know, it's like you can kind of trace it. You have Bastet in ancient Greece. You have, you know, uh, like cat cats show up in witchy places. I mean, they just always do. Um, And Artemis and, you know, Athena and uh, it's, come on, come on, you guys. It's, uh, it's very witchy energy to be into cats. And of course, Athena's into cats and owls, which she famously used as messengers. Um, 
and actually, but I think it's cool that there, apparently there's still a lot of street cats in Athens and it's like, you know, like taking care of the street cats is like a thing, um, which is cool. You know, it's like, I want to go to the Parthenon and like meet some of the feral, like apparently there's like feral cats that live at the Parthenon. Ooh, oh my God. How cool would it be to go like hang out with some cats at the Parthenon? I Like literally, I know, but I'm also like, how cool would it be to be a cat at the Parthenon? Well, I like to think that if I have my say, that might be my next venture on mm. this, like, mortal coil. Yeah, no, literally. Like, it'd be kind of cool. Like, maybe we'll meet there and we'll do, yeah. like, an arist- we'll do, like, an aristocrat, uh, okay. aristocrats thing. Like, we'll, Deal. like, li- live in an abandoned apartment and learn how to play piano. Yeah, next next go round the sun. We're going to be cats at the Parthenon. And I'm, I'm down. It, being a human has been exhausting. Absolutely exhausted. Oh my god! Like literally, we're talking about that later. Um, <laughs> okay, but before I move on, I and talk about some things that are not so great about Athena. Uh, one last tidbit that I thought was cool that Athena is bringing to the table, and that is the uh, adornment of Pandora, uh, and this is part of the Metamorphoses by Ovid. And so, like, listen up, ladies. When the gods were making Pandora who was destined to be the first woman ever, as well as everything else that's part of her myth about letting all of the evil into the world, because it was kind of like a punishment for man, for for men, you know. Um, (laughs) It was actually Athena and not Aphrodite. So Athena, in her infinite wisdom, knew that men were ultimately very vain, and that if the whole idea of women was going to catch on, Pandora was going to have to be gorgeous and um maybe curvaceous even and so we really have her to thank for being the first person in history to conceive of a femme fatale uh mm-hmm. and was like oh jessica rabbit eat your heart out like really she was like okay but she has to be beautiful she's got to be fuckable y'all like she's got to be fuckable um and so yeah that was all of that was her idea i love that uh, Femme Fatale is also like such a good song. It, it really is such a good song. Okay, but no, so but it's not all. It's not all great with Athena. It's not all great with Athena, and so look at her dad. Look at who her dad is. First of all, yeah, like she's got this sort of vengeful side, and so here's like probably the most famous one is Medusa. So Poseidon. So Medusa used to be a, a fame, uh, you know, like beautiful, beautiful, famously beautiful maiden, maiden of the land, you know, like a hot commodity, a starlet even. And Poseidon, they fucked. Yeah, she fucked Poseidon. That's how pretty she was. But yeah. They fucked he, it. They, Poseidon they, took a break from his ship titties. Yeah. For Medusa. For Medusa. Um, but but they fucked in Athena's temple. And Athena was really not having that because that was like very disrespectful. Very. She felt very disrespected by that. And so she turned Medusa's hair into snakes and looking into her eyes would turn you to stone. So she kind of created a monster. And I've always, I always hear this story and I, I just feel bad for Medusa because she was just too pretty and it like wasn't her fault, you know? 
like yeah. the literal god of the sea is trying to seduce you and somehow you end up at Athena's temple having a private moment and yeah I do love that there have been some like modern like feminist reinterpretations of the story that I think are really interesting because of course there's always this question of uh consent with sex right. with gods and I know that in some stories like Poseidon was not granted consent to be uh, fucking right. Medusa and I I just really enjoy the retellings of it where it's like kind of viewing it as like Athena giving her her power back over her sexuality again this is a very modern lens interpretation on it but I do appreciate that like that angle on it I think it makes it makes the Medusa story less absolutely heartbreaking and kind of makes her a bit more of a feminist icon because it's like who hasn't wanted to turn a dude to stone I mean these are these are facts but you know in in the story though like in the original story athena does not come out smelling like roses because she does make medusa what she is which is this monster who's terrorizing the countryside and also i don't like i do not know why she is just obsessed with getting her revenge on medusa she also is the one that gives perseus who cuts off Okay, so we, ha- we really have to tell the whole story. So she gives Perseus um, the, the shield, the reflective shield, which is like a mirror. Mm-hmm. So instead, so he can see in the mirror if Medusa is coming and also see where to like cut to cut her head off. And that's how she's defeated. And uh, Athena is the one who gave him that shield and told him what to do because she gives great advice. Uh, but then Perseus, because she helped him defeat the monster which ultimately does perseus know that athena also created the monster or i mean she might have left that bit out i feel like she might have left that bit she out she might have yada 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 over how medusa <laughs> came to be <laughs> yada, yada yada hey will you help me please um <laughs> and so he gives athena medusa's severed head which can still turn your enemies into stone uh, to, so that Athena can eventually she puts it on her own shield she, goddess of war and all and continues to use Medusa's power Medusa who's dead because her head has been chopped off but like using Medusa's power uh, basically is a, not only a decoration for her shield but also um, you know for her own own uses yes it's, uh, it's, it's like really not a good look and so there's one more story where Athena does not come out looking great either. And uh, that's the story of Arachne. So Arachne. Arachne. Arachne, Arachnid. There is, uh, there's going to be a connection. So pop a pen in that. Um, so we've got Arachne. Probably also, I mean, you know, you know I, Athena seems to have jealousy issues. Okay. So she's um, also a bit of a rising star in in ancient greece because she's such a good weaver and she weaves the most beautiful tapestries and she doesn't even make any mistakes um and athena challenges her to a tapestry weaving contest a weave off a weave off um and they and she she agrees and is maybe even honored to yeah to like go up against athena the goddess of what what is it the three w's wisdom war and weaving so so they're having a weave off 
and Arachne does, as you know, as advertised, perfect tapestry, no mistakes. And Athena is furious, absolutely furious. And she grabs, she grabs Arachne's um, sewing tools and beats her with them and just like mercilessly beats her with them and berates her um, emotionally um, to the point where she commits suicide by hanging. She hangs herself. Um, we're going to have to put like a trigger warning on this episode. <laughs> yeah, I d- yeah. There, we've had a lot of these recently. Sorry. Um, but no, so she she does. She hangs herself. And through sort of like the the process of hanging herself um, turns into a spider. And that is the first spider. Yeah. And, um, and that was and that was Athena. That, that was Athena that did that. Um, but okay, but it's but it's not all bad either. You know, it's kind of like it's a it's a tough job. I, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a tough job being the goddess of war and wisdom and culture. Pressure. It's pressure, but I would also say like those are kind of like cautionary tales because you really don't you don't cross Athena. No, not even a little bit, because then she will not stop until you're fucking dead and mounted on her goddamn shield. And also, you know, it's like you don't put yourself on that level, even if you actually are on that level. It's like a respect thing. Yeah, just don't go there. It's fine. Like, you are not a goddess. That's fine. Right. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. And and ultimately, if if Athena challenges you to uh, a contest, like you you can turn her down. And maybe yeah. you should, maybe you should turn her down. But no, Athena's really cool. And I kind of see her as like a, like a very good option for like a, like a house goddess, you know, cause you do have that protection, protective energy. I think that the idea of ritual is very much like tied in with the idea of culture. And I think that's like very close to our sort of ethos as witches. So, um, I, but I do think there's something there. Like if you wanted to get sort of more into Athena, like obviously um, weaving, weaving stuff is is going to be pretty up there. Yeah. Um, weaponry, like weaponry, is cool for for Athena because it's like you know, like using your brains to you know, like like do do it the right way. You know, like yeah. do it. You know, you can't just throw rocks at each other or like fist fight. You know, it's we're like you have civilized. You, we're civilized. You have to invent a sword um or or a spear and like you that's have to put on a bow tie and pick up a weapon yes um because because we're civilized we're civilized people uh but no i i but i i love athena owls um owls. owls are good books are good books are good because i mean you know athena goddess of wisdom a lot of ancient greek libraries were sort of um in athena's honor as well so like we almost ultimately have Athena to thank for even the idea of, of a library. Libraries. I mean, um, I love the idea of maybe doing like a little like miniature bookshelf altar for Yeah, Athena. like a bookshelf altar really for cute. Athena would be like just about right. Just, yeah. you know. Um, so yeah, you guys, like that's, I, I, there's so much to cover with Athena because I mean, every Greek legend like is reaching for including Athena because... Athens, Athena, like every city, yeah. she's the protection goddess. Like it's um it's kind it's of a all lot a- to distill down. It's it's a lot to distill down, and but we wanted to keep enough uh 
juicy bits for flavor. So I feel like uh, you did a great job. So yeah, now we get to talk about tulips because it is it is almost officially springtime. It is, even though it doesn't feel like it. I was telling Nick before we got started, we had a 30 degree drop between yesterday and today in Los Angeles, which has been frigid. Um, But tulips are a spring icon. I don't think anyone can deny that. Uh, And I am really excited to be talking about them today. My very favorite type of tulip, just up top, I have to say, the parrot tulip. Those are my favorite. The ones that have the feathered edges on their Mm. petals, like, oh, they're my very favorite. But these lovelies are a genus of, speaking of mouthfuls, perennial herbaceous bulbiferous geophytes that bloom in spring. Wow. I'm going to name any future children that I have that. Perennial herbaceous bulbiferous geophyte. Yeah, that's She's beautiful. Cute. That's a beautiful day. <laughs> so they're in the Liliaceae family with about 75 species that are divided further into like four subgenera. There are a lot of varieties. And tulip also comes from a Persian word for turban, which makes sense when you like think about the shape of the flower. But like Nick says, put a pin in that because we'll come back to that when we talk about magical uses. So naturally occurring tulips are happiest in like steppes and mountainous areas that have temperate climates. They are primarily naturally found originally in like a band that stretches from like Southern Europe to Central Asia. But nowadays, of course, these are like grown all over the world. So tulips were actually cultivated in Constantinople as early as 1055. And by the 15th century, they were a symbol for the Ottomans and prized for their beauty. And they, they've they been cultivated in Persia starting in like the 10th century, but they hadn't come into the Western gardening vernacular until the 16th century when diplomats to the Ottoman court saw them while they were there visiting and like could not wait to gab about it to their friends back home. And part of the reason tulips were so special especially to people from like Europe at the time is because the the flowers that were on the market in Europe didn't really have like the same kind of like dramatic super saturated colors that you get in tulips you know i mean when you're thinking about popular flowers in Europe at the time you're looking at a lot of like pretty pastels some whites maybe some lilac but like tulips go hard you can get mm, tulips mm-hmm. in all sorts of color and they are like hyper pigmented And then on, you know, of course, because they're beautiful, they're a little rare, they become a status symbol in Europe, right? Like they do. They're like, oh, this is pretty. This is not from around here. Only the rich people are going to be able to afford it. And then on stage right enters tulip mania. So during the Dutch Golden Age in the 1630s, Europe went like truly tulip crazy and the prices of tulip bulbs jumped up to like incredible heights like some individual bulbs sold for more than 10 times what a skilled artisan would make in a year for one bulb for one bulb that's fuck fucking crazy y'all and of course like so many bubbles before and after the tulip bubble burst dramatically in February of 1637. But fortunately, like it didn't result in massive economic crisis. Hello, American housing market. But there were a lot of like very interesting pointed religious pamphlets 
that went out around this time talking about like the dangers of like speculation and materialism and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, people had opinions about it. But uh, now we know, right? All about the way that the Netherlands hoards air magic. We oh, yeah. determined this. Oh, yeah. But they're also still a big deal in the flower world, right? So in 2014, the Netherlands, in addition to all of their windmills and harnessing all the air magic in the world, also managed to export more than 2 billion tulips. Billion and that's and this is and this is what they're doing with all of that air magic is growing right? fucking they're growing fucking tulips with it. Yeah, I mean, Holland is considered the flower shop of the world and nearly half of their trade comes from flowers and 77% of all flower bulbs in the entire whole wide world come from the Netherlands. And most of them are tulips. So yeah, now we know where that air magic is going. So on my ever-growing list of must-see foreign sites, uh, Koikenhof or Kuchenhof, I'm really sorry, I'm butchering the Dutch, Kuchenhof Botanical Garden in Holland, which was founded in the 15th century, holds more than 800 tulip varieties and over 7 million bulbs. It's been referred to as the most beautiful spring garden in the world. Sign me up. Like right? really... Like, really, you would be crazy to not want to do that. Yeah. I'm like, I really want to go in March and just, like, fucking frolic. You have to frolic. I'm pretty sure it's legally mandated. So now today I'm not actually going to get into growing tulips. I'm going to include a link in the episode description to a recent episode on daffodils because the care between tulips and daffodils is pretty much identical, and I don't want to waste you guys' time rehashing bulb care because you already <laughs> know about it. Um, and also, daffodils and tulips grow really well together to boot. So I will add a link in the description, and you can go and check that out if you want to refresh on how to grow tulips and daffodils. So let's talk about some herbalism stuff, y'all. Uh, disclaimer, I'm not a doctor. Nick's not a doctor. This mm -hmm. podcast intended to treat or diagnose anything please talk to your fucking actual doctors before embarking on any sort of herbal regimen so tulips aren't used often in western herbalism for medicinal value but that doesn't mean that they don't still have some interesting uses right so tulip flowers are the part of the plant that's most commonly used because the bulbs can be poisonous um, they're a great choice for doing like for making poultices for skin irritations. Like think if you're out and you get like a bee sting or you get like scratched by an underbrush or something or you get a rash because you run into a plant you're allergic to. You know, you can like chew up the tulip petals and like put it on your little wound. Um, the sap. Uh, can, I, can I I just want to jump in here and say that all of those sound like injuries you would get while frolicking. Well, yeah. So you gotta have one medicinal tulip on hand. You gotta have one medicinal tulip on hand. Uh, but how <laughs> but how perfect that the exact thing you would want to do in a massive field of tulips, you it know, the tulip it can help with. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's very thoughtful of them. Very thoughtful. Um, the tulip sap is diuretic and antiseptic, and it has been used to treat like coughs and mild colds. There are also some really delightful like cosmetic uses. So you can like crush up like a red or a pink tulip petal and like use it on your cheeks as like a blush, um, which I think is like 
how beautiful is that? Uh, you can also, you can find like the essential oil and use it in skin moisturizers, apparently. And in Afghanistan, some historic materials say that they used to eat the flowers to gain strength. But you can totally eat like tulip petals. So if you like grow tulips, you could make like little veggie cups out of them or like add them to salads and stuff. I mean, I, I, I kind of think like, because you're saying that, you, have you ever had stuffed squash blossoms? Oh, yeah. No, you could totally use these like a squash blossom. Oh, my God. Those are so good. Like, yeah. actually, oh, my God. Maybe I'll maybe I'll try that when the tulips come into the to season here. Do it. <laughs> Just make sure if you do it, you're not sourcing like store-bought ones that are covered in like... Oh my God. Absolutely. Absolutely covered. No, 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 no. Just like for people who maybe don't know, commercially grown flowers are covered in like pesticides and stuff. So like if you're ever going to want to eat something, Target's probably not the place to get it. Fresh flower wise. (laughs) I'm just going to like leave that out there. Um, So what about tulips for magic, though? Uh, These beauties are associated with the Earth element and the planet Venus. So the Venus Association makes like a love magic connection pretty obvious, right? But remember where the word tulip comes from, right? Turban, which to me makes the connection to protection magic make sense because tulips also have a strong historic connection to protective magic. But I think one of the coolest things about using tulips in your magical practice is the fact that you can find them in basically every color So like go crazy with color magic in tulips, right? So like for dark colored tulips, you could use them in like banishment rituals. Red and yellow could be planted like under your windows or near the front of your house or even your back door for like protection work. Of course, pinks and reds can be used in love and self-love spells. And tulip bulbs can be forced to bloom indoors. They're a little bit easier than something like a daffodil. So if like me, your altar is near a window, Mm-hmm. putting a tulip and like blooming a tulip bulb on your altar would be amazing. And in particular, I was thinking like white tulips on your altar because then they're like super diverse and the magic you can use them to support like throughout the entire growing season. And I just like, I love that. Do you remember if you're using live plants in your magical practice, uh, please make sure to like give offerings to them, right? Like cleanse them using smoke, water them using moon water, like make little offerings, say prayers for them, like give plenty of love to like thank the plant for all of the hard work that it's doing for you. So today my sources were our good close personal friend, Wikipedia, (laughs) 1-800-Flowers.com had a lot of info about Holland, Uh, herbsocietyblog.wordpress.com, flyingthehedge.com, learnreligions.com. And that's it. Wow. Wow. I know. Tulip mania is sweeping Europe. Tulips. So we're going to take a quick break to do our like plugs and our asks. So you guys, the best, easiest, free thing that you can do to support podcasts that you love, ours included, is to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes. Um, saying nice things about us, saying what you think about us helps other people find the podcast. It really matters a lot for rankings. We did recently rank in Romania, which was love that Uh, shout out Romania. Hey, Romania. So you guys do that, please. 
download the episode on Spotify. You can also now leave a rating. So even though you can't do a written review, so rate, review, subscribe. But if you're feeling extra generous and you want to support us because we offer this podcast to everybody for free, it is not free for us to make. You can join our Patreon. And that is easily enough. Patreon.com slash Wands and Franz pod. And for as little as $5 a month, not only do you make our cold, dark hearts a little warmer, you also get access to like video recordings of the episodes. We're doing bonus episodes. We have a really exciting one that we're recording next week that Nick and I are both so pumped about. Oh my God. It's so it's, cool. Y'all are the drama. The drama. The, the drama. It's going to be so good. So yeah, that's Wands and Franz pod. So patreon.com slash Wands and Franz pod. There's all sorts of cool benefits there. But really, it just it helps support our work because there's like recording equipment. There's paying for Patreon for hosting. There's like, you know, the time that goes into it. And we do love doing this for you guys. But anytime someone signs up to give us a little bit of money, it uh makes it that much easier. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I just want to say thank you for doing that this week because I have I have so much to talk about this week. Yeah, Nick's kind of busy this week. I'm oh, really busy should, this week. I should add, um, if you want to reach out to us, you can always find us on Instagram at Wands and Franz Pod. You can email us Wands and Franz Pod at gmail.com and mm-hmm. Wands and Franz Podcast on Facebook. There's there's a Facebook page. So there's a fa- there's a Facebook. She's out there. She's out there. She's doing her thing. Anyway, so peace out. Those are the plugs. Those are the plugs. <laughs> okay, so you guys, we are back in the deep end of the pool again this week, by which, of course, I mean, we're talking about dying again. And can I just like pop in and say like another reason to fund the Patreon is like we're going to need to get Nick some extra therapy <laughs> after the topics he's been covering the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Um, no, it's fine. It's like the dead of winter. I haven't seen the sun probably ever in my life. I probably never will again. And we're just, we're just going to keep talking about dying. Um, or actually we're talking about everything except dying or the concept of immortality. Um, so obviously listeners of the pod will know that a few weeks ago, I actually talked about necromancy and death, sort of like death in general which meant I had to go down quite a few weird and frankly emotional rabbit holes and also do, you know, like a little bit of soul searching. Um, The thing is, though, you actually can't do that much research about death and dying without the idea of immortality coming up at least a few times. And so there's like a few, few different schools of thought here. For instance, in many of the world's organized religions, there's this idea of like a soul or a spirit that in a way has immortal properties because even though your body dies you either get reincarnated into a new body or your soul or your spirit or whatever goes on to the afterlife and in almost all of those religions that afterlife is eternal um so in a way kind of kind of a form of immortality and then there's also this idea of like an immortal being or like a god or a hero who is unable to die or be killed Um, And then there's like regular people trying to achieve immortality throughout history. And uh, that's kind of where alchemy comes in, because as I talked about in my segment on potions, um, this was like a very real area of study for many, many centuries was 
the it's it's you know the goal of which was to find or create a sorcerer's stone which could then be used to create an elixir of life and that would cause a person to become immortal um alchemy is cool it's basically the precursor to chemistry right and also this uh the the sorcerer's stone of legend could turn things to gold and i'm sure that probably was part of the draw as well but the moral of the story as it pertains to what we're talking about today is that people throughout history have done all kinds of batshit crazy shit to achieve this property of immortality including like drinking straight up mercury uh, experimenting with lead uh, which is famously super toxic. Yeah, I'm like um, including doing lots of things that will immediately lead to mortality. Um, eating and drinking like every poisonous plant and herb known to man, and also just like straight up doing sacrifices on other people to achieve immortality. And it's all out of this like fear of basically the unknown, because not a single person who is alive knows what it's like to be dead. Um, and obviously there's what, what you might think of as outliers. And I think the example at the top of the list would be near death experiences. Um, and so like, this is when your heart stops in a process medical experts call dying, but through the miracle of modern technology, your heart can get restarted and you come back with like memories of like the white light and the tunnel and all your loved ones or you know like maybe the fiery pits of hell if you're kinky like that mm. um wow. but i and here's my thing it's like i would argue though that because the window of time to get a heart restarted in that way is so incredibly short that i would say that even having like a near-death experience doesn't exactly qualify as knowing what lies beyond the grave like you know what lies beyond the hospital room perhaps but absolutely no further yeah i would hard agree i think ndes are fascinating for so many reasons they are not the same as dying and like fully passing over and having an understanding of what that is right And I think this is a good place to dive into the discussion because this is one of those where I think it was intended to be one thing. This segment, I mean, where it's like it's intended to be one thing. And actually, it's it's something it's it's a little different. And I'm actually I'm going to take a little hit of my 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 little my little weed pen because I'm like, get on the level. I'm going to get on the level like I'm getting on the level with you guys. So beautiful. Oh, my God. The big, big, big question of the day is would you still want to die if it was optional? And I'm gonna, I'm, I'm literally asking that to you, Shannon. Yeah, yeah, because I, and I think that, you know, I can only speak from my experience, but having lived a life that very early on was full of a lot of trauma and now getting to live in a life that is like much less traumatic, but still the condition of human existence is trauma. I'm like, I want to have a good run at it. Yeah. But I do imagine like getting tired. You same, know, like same, 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 same. Yeah. It's like I don't want to live forever because it's like you you don't get to be young forever if you're immortal. You know, it's like I imagine like the way science advances, it's often like extending your life as an old person, which not to say that like live your life old people but like Like, i don't know that i'd want to do a hundred years 
and like keep my body keep degrading either right no well and it's like if you could be 20 for 50 years or yeah or like spend 100 years getting weak like you know with your body just breaking down i think i'd rather be 20 for 50 years than like live a natural 100 year lifespan yeah for sure i but even with that it's like i just think ultimately like not you know i want to be the person who greets death like an old friend yes that's very that's very much the vibes but yeah i I also you know i'm also interested in what the listeners the the people listening think about this so if you do want to write in like this would be a good prompt you know um because my my sneaking suspicion is that witches might be less death averse than the I general think, I think so. I think that's even like, I don't know, like maybe that's like a role in society ultimately. Yeah, because I think that death is like, it's the thing where if we couldn't die, life loses a lot of meaning. Right, right, right. Okay, so I, of course, am maybe notoriously even not a love and light witch. Um, I likely never will be, although I do like to think that having my little Sagittarius moon keeps me reasonably optimistic. But my mind kind of goes to themes in mythology where immortality is used against someone or even it's part of the punishment. So it's like Sisyphus is rolling that rock up a hill forever. Yeah. Loki is getting snake venom in his eye forever and prometheus was meant to be pecked at by an immortal eagle every day and then regenerate forever forever and and it's like the exhaustion seems like part of the fucking punishment with immortality there yeah it's like the exhaustion is part of the punishment and like let's face it in this context forever is actually the scary part of the concept yeah and, and like not comforting at all uh and so this is where kind of my own beliefs come into play i do you think I would get bored and go create absolutely crazy if I was immortal? Yeah. Um, and I occasionally experience, you know, like existential boredom in my own life. And I'm only 30 years old. Like, I can't imagine how that would feel after hundreds or even thousands of years. So my ultimate feeling on the topic is that I personally, I would want to die. Like, not... Yeah in the dark way of saying that I want to die soon or like life is not worth living. That's not true. Like that, you know, just because it is such a heavy topic to talk about, like I, but I life, just have life should have, I think an end. Yes. And I would say after my life has run its natural course, I can say with full confidence that I would want to die at the end. And that's honestly like one of my most deeply held spiritual beliefs. Yeah. I would, I would say, and and one that put yeah. puts us, me and us, I would say, uh, at odds with a large portion of the population who were like foaming at the mouth for this like spiritual immortality, and also kind of like literally foaming at the mouth about how technology is going to make like quantum immortality like possible in our lifetimes, and so Which that's I where just, yeah, ew. And that's that's why I'm like smoking my vape pen because I'm like this is kind of like diving in a weird direction, but I feel like it's worth mentioning. You know, like we are witches, but we do live in the 21st century, and so it's like these things that happen have spiritual implications. Yeah, um, because humans are not just like electrical currents in a meat suit. 
Right. Uh, and I feel like it's there's sort of a dark side around the conversation around immortality that's going on in modern times. Um, and I think a lot of us have seen Black Mirror. And while it is a lot of speculation, I would go out on a limb and say that a lot of what happens on that show is kind of what I'm scared of. And like my personal feelings about this particular avenue of technological advancement. Um, yeah. I think that Black Mirror is a perfect example of like good science fiction. And this is like when you look at things like 1984 and like Fahrenheit 451 and like people like Ray Bradbury, you know, good science fiction writers are not predicting the future. They're making commentary on current events and extrapolating them out. And so it's like, yeah, Black Mirror feels very real because the people writing on that are just playing out what we're fucking talking about right now. Right. Um, but I, I would say I, I personally believe that even if you were able to like perfectly recreate my mind in a computer, it would still only ever be a copy. It's not you. And the me, yeah. the, the me that's talking to you right now would still die and be dead. Yeah. Uh, and, and we'd still have absolutely no idea what happens on the other side. No. Because, because we're never, because we're never going to. That's not you in the machine. Like, this is the thing that always weirds me out about that when people are like, oh, but you could just move my consciousness into a machine. It's like, no, you couldn't. You absolutely could not. You, you can absolutely your, like, could not. Neural path, like your neural map into it. But it's like, how sad that you think that's all you are. Right, right. Like, that's deeply sad to me that your sense of self is so shallow. Yes. You think you could be put on a fucking like computer drive. And so, so actually, like doing these consciousness uploads or whatever you want to call it, I, I think it would just be like a security blanket for people. Yeah. Like maybe it would, you know, help them feel less afraid to die. But I mean, at the end of the day, there's, you're still dying. You're still dying. Uh, you're still, and that you're still dying. Help you do the emotional healing that needs to happen for you to be okay with that. Like, right. how scary would it be to get up to your death point and be the type of person that needs to have a copy of your brain on, like, your computer to feel safe? It's like, you're still going to be terrified at that last moment because, like, the same reason that Christians that, you know, do the they do the checkmark Christianity, a lot of those people are still very afraid of death, even though technically their religion says heaven is real. But it's like, no, it's because you haven't, like, emotionally healed yourself. To the point of being okay with things ending. Right. And obviously, you're still going to die, though, right? Yeah. And having the digital backup copy, to me, feels disrespectful in yes. a way. It's like hologram Tupac. And like, yes, that's a funny example, but it's also 100% real. Like, they had the hologram Tupac at like the VMAs or whatever that yeah. was. And I would be really upset if you kept doing once and Franz podcast with hologram Nick. Yeah. After I passed on and I would like never be friends with hologram Shannon. Oh my God. Dream Shannon is famously a fucking cunt. So I imagine hologram Shannon might pick up on whatever it is that makes me an asshole in everyone else's dreams. Right, right, right. And like the thing is though, that hologram Shannon would probably think that she's real Shannon. 
and be sad that I won't be friends with her. Which is and so like, what's even the point of being immortal if you're just a sad hologram? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like I know that um, you're going to talk about it in just a second. But it so remind me in a minute, I want to talk about the China body problem and philosophy. But what also bothers me about the whole thing and like really gets my mind kind of moving on this topic is that there's so much of what makes you yourself that is, yes, coming from your brain but it's also like very much an intersection of your actual physical body and i took i you know take love for example which i feel like is such a powerful emotion to people and like really something that um a lot of people would think makes humans humans is sort of our capacity to feel and experience love and valentine's day was yesterday so this is also a reason why this is like a good example um it's a great place to zoom in um and there's this idea of love that you could like write down on paper or even say like code into a computer but then there's like the actual like feeling of it like the hormones the you know like the heartbeats the dilated pupils the sweaty palms you know like the wistful thoughts on a breezy afternoon and like that actual sensation of love like in your body that makes being around another person pleasurable in a way that even like defies logic and like how are you ever going to tell me that such an incredibly complex interaction could be faithfully recreated by an algorithm in a machine and it couldn't i i I really just don't think it would you could recreate the sensation of like have of like feeling feeling an emotion yeah in digital form because love is also even beyond that it's like love changes and adapts over time it's not Mm -hmm. static like no and that's just another thing but you know this this whole idea of like the mind-body connection being so important is like i took so for people who don't know before i switched into american studies i was a philosophy major because i was going to do pre-law many moons ago and i took this really great class on like the philosophy of identity and we talked about this thing called the china body problem right and so the idea is say you give everyone in china and they pick china just because the population is so huge um a phone book right and they have like a certain like rule set there so it's like if you get a call from this person you call this person and the idea is that you use that to create a map of like neural reactions And if the people in China that are going through this like neural pathway, you know, creating the currents by doing the phone calls are attached to a robot and they do the phone call path for pain, does the robot feel pain? The answer is most people say no. And it's because the sensation of pain is not just a neural reaction and the people that try to break down human existence to just the brain, you take it one step further and it just falls apart really quickly. Right. It's like an AI imitation of a person. Yeah. And, you know, maybe someday, many years from now, they'll get to the point where AI can create like real living thought creatures but I still, you can never copy a person because it's like, I have a soul. There is like the spiritual part of me. Right. 
But, you know, but I find it scary. I do. I find it yeah. scary how willing a lot of people seem to be to just completely give up their humanity and the idea of even being a human or having a body, which kind of brings me to my last main point of this segment, which is that there's two main ways that science and capitalism are working together to offer us immortality. And the first is like research into genetics to things like tardigrades and other extremophiles that could potentially create like a biological invulnerability to death. Um, or even kind of, you know, giving people ridiculously long lifespans, which, you know, kind of doesn't feel like the move. Um, no, I'm like, but, things hurt a lot more at 30. I'm like, I don't know, man, this meat suit is going to break down. But that would also kind of be more of a thing, too, where it's like that particular technology would be like great because you could create a baby like, you know, because genetic engineering has to start from the ground up. like you cannot genetically re-engineer yourself because you are, are, you're already done. Your genes are already, that already happened. Edit mode has been turned off. Well, our genes do change, which is another weird science segue, but I get what yeah. you're saying. And to me, it's also like, that's extra problematic because it's like, cool, so we're just going to like play God? So yeah, it's like playing God. And then it's, I mean, just, you know, kind of like jumping my own gun here. It's like capitalism too. Like if you could genetically engineer immortal children um then rich people would obviously maybe go for that but then it's like do the kids want to be immortal like they grow up and they're like what the actual fuck it'd be you know yeah. you're like taking I, away their choice you're you're absolutely you would absolutely be you know where they're like wait what the fuck like what if you had to be immortal and then like you know like the sun blows up which we'll talk about that later on, but um, like like physically immortal, you yeah, know, like you'd have you literally don't fucking say like you you know you'd literally have to be like living through like hurricanes and fires and like all the the catastrophes of the end of the world because you would be unable to die. <laughs> yeah, and like watching everyone you love die eventually. Uh, and then what? It's just you and the other rich kids and their cockroaches. Like, I'm sorry, has anyone that's like into this watched Doctor Who? Uh, literally, like Doctor Who is haunted by the fact that he cannot die because he's had to watch everyone he's ever loved die. Yeah. Um, but okay. And then the other the other option is, of course, like uploading your consciousness, which we've already kind of talked about in depth. Um, or like I think the metaverse and like VR is very much part of this because it's like if people get comfortable in virtual worlds. Well, you know, what happens when you just move to a virtual world? Yeah, and it's like, sorry, Barbara, you can't. You literally can't. Um, but they would tell you that you could. But they just want your money, Babs. They just want your money. But I would say, like, both of these would really only be for rich people, uh, at yeah. least starting out. You know, like, even with the whole, like, consciousness uploading thing, I think it's kind of gross, you know, it, and it's it, it feels almost ridiculous to think in like a science fiction way, like what if, you know, like aliens come to like a destroyed planet Earth, like in the distant future, and, you know, all they find of human civilization is like the the robot version of Joe Rogan. They'd be like, yeah, that makes sense that this happened here. <laughs> yeah. Or like Elon, you know, it's such like Joe Rogan and Elon Musk and Grimes, like playing mini golf on like the scorched remains of planet Earth. They're like, oh, cool. So you guys did this? Y'all did the bad thing. Y'all did the bad thing. But yeah, I, and ultimately, it, it could never be for everyone. 
right? Yeah. Like, even if they were, they found a way to do it. It's like people would opt out. People would absolutely opt out, you know, on like spirit, a spiritual basis. Yeah, you got two right here. Right. Like I, I, I absolutely wouldn't do it. And then it's like, you know, so those people would still be dying. And then the people that were, you know, are immortal would still have no idea what happens after you die. Um, and they would just stay afraid forever. And they would just be afraid forever. But I mean, but okay. So, but like, what even happens when the sun goes supernova and like your server warehouse deep in the interior of the moon or whatever gets like blown up along with the rest of the fucking solar system? And like, wouldn't that technically mean that even being saved on a floppy disk or what the fuck ever you want to say? is not without its limits and perhaps even digital copies of billionaires will have to come to terms with their own mortality eventually. Yeah. I mean, because they, you're right. because they will. And I, I feel like that's the perfect segue into the QWP this week. Oh yeah. So today y'all, I want to talk to you about something that is very, very gross and insidious in the wellness and increasingly in the witchy community especially with like spiritual influencers which is so gross and that is disease mongering and i had not heard it called such until i listened to this really great episode on love and light confessional which is a really great podcast about weird shit in the woo sphere but disease mongering is the perfect way to describe it and you know what kind of thing I'm talking about. So, for example, I very recently watched this woman who is a women's hormone coach very directly say that if you have any sort of cramping during your periods, your hormones are fucked and you need oh, to get Oh, good fixed. lord. So it's like people that are trying to convince you that even natural things are definitely a sign that you have something wrong with you. So it's like like menstruating people's hormones are a huge hot topic that I see all sorts of shit on, on the internet right now, but also like heavy metals. Um, the people that are trying to convince you that the tomato peels in your poop are parasites and you need to get a fucking like detox for them. The it's like the goop effect, right? So it's like, Oh yeah. When you get to this point, like when these upper middle class to very wealthy white women in particular, also men, but like the women are the ones on the Insta talking about it, at least that I have seen. It's like when you get to a certain Well, and you you also you also have to um sort of admit that the algorithm shows you. That's true. That's true. The algorithm is, I mean, you know, it's like kind of jumping back to my thing. It's like the algorithm shows you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so shows you I, yeah. I see the women doing it. I'm sure there are plenty of people, but it's like when you get to this certain level of wealth where you're not having to actually worry about having your basic needs met and you're not like making sure you can pay the rent. It's like this invention of disease so you can have something to worry about. And it's this weird anxiety that's getting pushed onto people who quite frankly, worries like this are above our pay grade. We are not in the salary scale to be worrying about this bullshit because it's made up. It's designed to sell you bullshit and it's not real. And I just like really want to say like, especially as someone who is literally on my final for my herbalism certificate and being in the wellness community and wanting to work with people one-on-one, -on -one, if there is a coach 
or a well, a holistic wellness practitioner of any sort that spends their entire like platform telling you that there's something wrong with you that only they can fix fucking run away just run away it's not real but also ladies like you're allowed to cramp and ladies and you know femmes anyone who menstruates cramping once in a while is normal you know if i was working with someone who was having like debilitating cramps to the point that it's disrupting your life Number one, I'm going to tell you, go to your doctor and get a hormone panel before we discuss anything, because hormones are not something to be fucked with by someone who doesn't know what they're doing and doesn't have like a strong understanding of your like medical history. But also, like, if you're just having like a few cramps on your period, like, you know, drink some like raspberry leaf tea to help with that. But like, that's also okay. Like our bodies do shit. Like we don't have to have this weird, like, I feel like it's also an extension of purity culture, right? It's like your body has to be like a perfect machine. But oh, yeah. Well, and I would say, you know, and you know, like we can take this part out if you want to, but like, and like only answer if you feel comfortable saying so. Um, But it's like, I, a lot of, you know, like you have PCOS famously. Yeah. Uh, And that's just how your body is as well. So there's almost this like privilege. I feel, I mean, as, as a male bodied person, um, you know, it's like, I really don't, like, I don't, I really don't understand, but it's like, you know, I've seen you, especially like compared to other girlfriends of mine, like go through really bad cramping and, and, and stuff like that. And it's like, Um, that's an illness. And that is an illness, but it's also like, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's like a privileged thing to be like, oh, like, I don't ever have any kind of any kind of cramping or problems with with stuff like that to be like, that's a disease. Yeah. To have minor cramping and tell someone that that means that they're diseased. <laughs> is like, that's a disease. It's like, no, man, there are diseases. And like, there are also ways that like, if you have things like PCOS or endometriosis, like you can totally work with like naturopath and holistic medicine providers in collaboration with medical doctors to come up with things that work well for you. But so often these people are like, I'm the answer. Let me fix things for you. And it's like, no, run the other way. That's not safe. But also like this idea that our bodies should be machines that function without incident, like without any sensation is like, that's some Gwyneth Paltrow shit. Like, we're oh, yeah. not doing that here. We're not. Well, and that's like very love and light. And it's like coming yeah. from, it's like totally coming from a place of like, you've uh, you've obviously never had any problems. Yeah, have, it's have like, you. oh, you've never puked and passed out from your period cramps, have you? Yeah, because that's a diseased, like, body response. Not right. like, sometimes you want to watch a little extra Netflix and take a nap. It's like, bitch, taking a nap is all the working out you should be doing while you're menstruating. That's normal. It's fine. Oh, oh, oh my God. Well, I just, I, I do see, um, as a gay man, like I always see influencers in my like discover page, you know, because for some reason they think I'm like interested in that, but really I just want to see cute animals and like hot dudes. But like, for some reason they think I want to see like an influencer, you know, like hiking. Do you follow guys with plants by the way? I don't, but you should absolutely link me to that. I will. You'll like it. It's fun. But yeah, so fuck, fuck that. Fuck disease mongering. You guys, Um, trust your intuition. But again, it's the same thing as like charismatic cult leaders. If someone claims to have all the answers, 
they're crazy. Like they're absolutely insane because the more that you learn about anything, the more you realize how little you know. And that's just like anyone that is actually learned in something. So you know, everywhere. you know what, what, um, what I also just kind of like thought of that I think kind of ties in with both is that I don't really trust anyone who's trying to sell something just period. And it's like, if someone was trying to like sell me on the idea of even like uploading my consciousness, like, I'm like, how do I really just feel like they would just like kill the person and like put like a reasonably complex AI that looks like you. Like, I think so many people would just be fooled if your like AI version, like looked like you, you know? I also think that this is like such a trauma kid response because it's the same reason that I've never learned to fucking send my DNA around for like getting it tested because now it's like coming out that like they own your legalities because they own your DNA. They own your DNA now. I'm like, people trust no one. Trust no, absolutely. Yeah, Not even us. Don't fucking no. trust us. Have you oh, met us? We're have a you mess. Met? Absolutely shady. Absolutely yeah, shady. The shadiest bitches. Anyway, <laughs> um, so it just like, while we were talking about immortality, I was like, we have got to talk about this because it is fucking gross and it's insidious. I also cannot recommend Love and Light Confessionals enough. It's like such a good look at the loose fear from someone who is in it like she's not trying to debunk everything spiritual but she does do a lot of like great episodes talking about like actually problematic shit that happens within the woo sphere so anyway as we're coming to the bitter end i have a message today for leo which i feel like feels so weird for this episode to get leo but here we are my little cubs so for you And this does feel appropriate for the episode. I have drawn the Wheel of Fortune. But also, I love the artwork on this. Oh, yeah. The bats. Uh, Little bats. Little bats. So this lets me know, guys, like the tides, they are a turn in. Okay. If you've been down on your luck, this is an awesome sign. Things are going to be looking up for you. Uh, If you have been on a winning streak, It's probably coming to a close. Normality will return. Nothing lasts forever, not even for you, my regal little lions. But the Wheel of Fortune is really all about cycles. And like, it's a reminder that change is the only constant. But when the Wheel of Fortune comes up, it usually means that there's a pretty significant shift coming for you. It's not necessarily positive or negative. It's really just something's going to be changing in a very noticeable, pretty dramatic way. So you're in for a shakeup, Leo's. But just roll with it. Like, life is change. Maybe you'll get a prettier crown after this rotation of the wheel. Who knows? Good things could happen. Well, that's a that's a beautiful message. Yeah. I feel like it's just such a, like, non-message message, message. But I also, it's like the Wheel of Fortune is one of those cards. It's like, you're going to have to journal on this and figure out what it's talking about. Because <laughs> it's going to be highly personal for you. I, I, of course. Of course. Um yeah. But yeah, you know, go Leo. Go, you know, go, it's go uh, Leo's. I got go a baby Leo's. Leo stellium. I love you. I'm here for you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because well, we, you know, we love an August Virgo. We do. Um, we're weird. We're here. We're weird. We're gonna tell you what to fucking do with your life. <laughs> Just like <laughs> Athena. Um, you know, so what do we say, you know, for the immortal glory of Athena? What do what do we say? For the immortal glory of Athena, our goddess. We say blessed be, bitches. Blessed be, bitches. Goodbye. Bye now. 
yeah iguanas are, are like wild iguanas are high oh my key God. scare that scary fucking terrified me i was like okay look i'm like we're very pro lizard mm, yeah pro Never. lizard love a, we love pro a lizard, lizard lizard in the sun moment yes we love it sunbathing but when a lizard has like claws that are three inches long and it can get up to fucking like it, i swear to god it looked like it was like running at 30 miles an hour i was like nope 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 that's a fucking dragon dinosaur that is a tiny dragon that is gonna claw my face off and it like it like stood up and its legs were so long when it started running and it was like it was like that kind of like disorientation that you get when you like see an owl's legs yeah 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 where where you're just like where were you keeping those (laughs) where where indeed where indeed i don't trust it 